Hey, thanks for joining us here at the Vineyard Church Podcast. For more video messages and content, make sure to visit our website, vineyardwheeling.com, or download our app. There's a lot of great resources there that are free and will help you grow closer to God and help you connect with the church. Right now, let's go to our Connections Director, Jen Lewis, for this week's message. Well, hello, everyone. Glad to be with you today. We are moving on in our series of Mark. If you are new with us, we have been diving deep uh, into the book of Mark, and we are on to chapter 6. And we get to talk today about one of my favorite miracles that Jesus does in scriptures. It's the feeding of the 5,000. I don't know if you're familiar with that story, but we're going to dive deep so that we can find all the information, or at least a lot of the information, um, that Mark wanted to portray to the reader of his book. What we, what we find as we're studying the book of Mark is that we're seeing that Mark wanted the reader to answer the question, who is Jesus? And so as we look through um, this story today, we're going to be able to ask that question and, and, and look at how Mark presents some answers to that question. Now, to get us started, I want to remind us of where we are in the storyline. So Jesus is at the point in um, his ministry where he is starting to hand off things to the disciples. He's, he's, he's becoming more of a coach than just a teacher. And he, we learned last week that, that um, Jesus had sent out the disciples on like their first independent mission trip. And so at this point, it, we're going to start in verse 30. He comes back to where the disciples all come back and, and they want to talk to Jesus about what happened. They're, they're, you know, they want to debrief and discuss all that's gone on in their mission trip. Because at this point, what's happening is the disciples are going from kind of this consumer mode where they're learning and they're, and they're just watching what Jesus is doing. And now they're given these like small assignments where they go and they do a couple things and then they come back and Jesus coaches them and talks to them about what what they need to be learning and what they need to be doing. You know, it's kind of like no longer are they just on the, you know, along for the ride. You know, now they're really actually sometimes taking turns in the driver's seat. And, or like, if you think about it, like a game, like it's not just that they're learning the game and they're, and they're and watching how plays are done, but they're actually on the team and they're playing a part in the process. And so what we see here is that they're coming back and they're, and they're wanting to talk to Jesus. Now, before we dig in and we kind of dive into each of the scriptures, I want to take them like one or two at a time and really look at the, the nuances of the scriptures. But before we do that, I'm going to give you kind of a basic overview so that you have the basic storyline. So if any of you are not familiar with this story, you kind of know what's happening. So they come back, they're talking to Jesus or trying to talk to Jesus. And it turns out that the crowds are just now going crazy. Like they really want to see Jesus. They really want to talk to him. And, and I have a, a suspicion that not only are they excited about Jesus, but the disciples have kind of risen up in their rock star um, status as well. And so the crowds are just not letting them have a minute. And so Jesus says to them, look, okay, I want to hear all about this too. I want you guys to get some rest. Let's go away. We'll sneak away and we'll get some time together to talk. So they get on a boat and they go across uh, the lake so that they can just be together and the crowds see them and the crowds sneak on all the way around the lake, run ahead of them. And when they come to the shore of the lake, 
there they are waiting for Jesus and the disciples. And so Jesus, because he's patient and he's awesome and he's who he is, he doesn't send them away. He has compassion on them and he begins to teach to them. And he teaches all day long. And it gets to the point that at the end of the day, the disciples come to him and they're like, hey, Jesus, the people are hungry. And and what, what has happened is because they went out into the countryside where the disciples were gonna be alone with Jesus, what they end up... <laughs> Um, realizing is, okay, there's no food trucks, there's no delis, there's no food anywhere. These people are going to be hungry. So the disciples say to Jesus, hey, you need to send them on. You need to send them away so that they can get home, get themselves some food. It's getting late. And Jesus turns to the disciples and he says, no, you know what? You go feed them. Now, I haven't mentioned the fact that the crowd is like thousands. You know, it says in the scriptures that it's 5,000 people. Okay, that's like, well, it's 5,000 men. So that doesn't include the women and children. So that would be rough estimate about the, the West Banco arena filled twice. Okay, so envision that in your mind. That's how many people are here. So he says to the disciples, well, go ahead, you feed them. And they're like, well, we only have this one bag lunch. Like, we don't have enough to feed everybody, and we don't have the money to go buy what we would need to feed them. And so he tells them, you know what, go have them sit down, and, and, and I'll take the bag lunch. So he takes the bag lunch. Miraculously, he, um, he, you know, multiplies the lunch, and they are able to feed all these thousands of people. And then they're all well-fed. There's even leftovers, and then Jesus sends them home. So that's the basic storyline of of the feeding of the 5,000. But what's so interesting is that we're going to see that in, in the details of this story, Mark is showing us who Jesus is. He is showing us little bits and pieces of, of who Jesus is and who he is not. So we're going to go ahead and we're going to look um, scripture by scripture and, and, and discuss these things. First, I do want you to know that this is a unique miracle in a couple ways. First of all, it's one of only two miracles that Jesus performed that is written in all four of the gospels. The only other miracle is Jesus raising from the dead, which is a pretty important miracle when you think about it. So this one, you know, it, it, it ranks up there pretty high in, in the importance of at least the gospel writers. And if you remember, we've been talking about this. There's four gospels, okay? Those gospels are the, the, the stories of the life um, and the miracles and the acts of Jesus while he was here on earth. They cover um, different, different events, each of them, because they're, they're really looking um, at Jesus from a different focus and, and have different authors in mind as they're writing. And so all of them have the events of Jesus, but some of them only cover certain ones. Some of them, you know, like, like Matthew, Mark, and Luke are most similar. John's a little bit different, but they all have um, some crossover, but they don't all cover all the same events. And even when they cover an event, not all of the details are exactly the same because they're focusing on different details of the story because they want to point out different things to their different audiences. But what we see here is that this miracle is in all four. The other thing that makes this miracle unique is that a lot of Jesus's miracles up until this point have been miracles of deliverance. Like um, you think about healing of the sick, he's delivering them from sickness or um, delivering them from demonic oppression. So he's delivering them from evil spirits or raising people from the dead. He's delivering them from death. So those, those are kind of like these like 
life or death emergency, like big deal miracles. Like you read them and you think, oh my goodness, he's got to do something here. Now we know logically in our minds, at least we can remind ourselves that Jesus didn't have to heal anyone. He didn't have to do any of these miracles. He didn't, um, he wasn't required to. And in, in some cases he didn't heal everybody or deliver everybody. Um, but in a lot of those miracles, you feel the need, you feel like the emergency of it. But in this miracle, and, and also I would think of the miracle of um, him changing the water into wine at the wedding, like there, it's not life or death. It's not an emergency. He didn't have to do it. Like he didn't even have to feel the burden to do it. You know what I mean? But he does it. And it's a miracle of provision. It's a miracle that shows us his abundant love. Like the fact that he didn't, he didn't have to, but it shows his care, his extra attention. I, I love it because we see just like his ability to love us in a way that is beyond what we need, could ever expect, could ever even always know to ask for. It's just really neat miracle. So what we find out, remember, is that he's, he's, coming, he's coming with the disciples. They're, they're coming back from their mission trip. They want to talk to him. And we see them finding that the crowds are crazy. So we're going to look in Mark 6, starting in verse 30, okay? It says, The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So think about it if you were in the disciples' shoes. Now, first of all, you'll see, first, second word there, Mark says the apostles. He doesn't call them disciples. He's calling them apostles, which literally means ones who are sent. So he's using that word on purpose because now they're in that sending mode. Jesus is coaching them. We're going to see this all the way through. But they come back and think about it from their perspective, from the apostles' perspective. They're tired, but they're excited to see Jesus. They're excited to talk to him about the trip. They're excited to debrief. You know, if you think about yourself coming back from a trip, you want to see your loved ones. You want to tell them all about what's going on and what has happened. You want to hear the latest local news. You want to get a home-cooked meal, and you want to sleep in your own bed. Okay. So they're tired. They are wanting to just kind of chill, regroup, check in with Jesus, check in with each other. And the crowds just keep hounding them. I mean, I think of it like when a mother is, is trying to have a conversation on the phone with an adult, you know, it, the, the crowds were like little kids, you know, trying to constantly have the attention because they wanted in on all that was happening with Jesus at this point. On top of all of that, we have to remember also that Jesus had just gotten word that his relative, John the Baptist, had just been beheaded. And it was a horrible situation. Like, if you go back and you read the story of that, we talked about it last week. So if you missed it last week, you can go back and, and watch that or just look in earlier in the chapter, Mark 6. But, but John was beheaded in a, a humiliating way with total disregard for who he was. And so... What we see here is that they're tired out, they're exhausted, and they're grieving, which is just, we can relate to that. We can understand that. And so what I want us to see here, the first point that I want us to see of what Mark is showing us about Jesus is number one, Jesus cares about our most basic needs. 
Jesus cares about our most basic needs. Now we, we can get that through this whole scripture because he ends up feeding all of these people. We end up, you know, thinking about how he feeds the birds of the air and he, he takes care of the flowers of the field. Like we can remember those scriptures when we see this miracle. But what we see here is that Jesus did have things that he was trying to teach his disciples. He did have things that he wanted them to learn and to do and to know, but he's not a taskmaster. He's not just driving them like, we got to go, we got to do this, you know, like, like me in the morning when I'm getting my kids ready for school. He's not like that. He loves his disciples. And likewise, he loves us. Yes, he has given us important things to do. And he, want, he has a mission for each one of us. But he cares about our well-being. He cares, he cares about our physical needs. He cares about our mental state. He cares about all of it. And then what we also see here is that he understands exhaustion, which to me is beautiful. As a mother of four kids, this is so encouraging to me because he understands how it feels at 10 at night when I've put the kids to bed and I finally sit down on the couch and one of the kids is crying for another hug or wants some kind of reassurance that the boogeyman is not going to come and get them and I just feel like I have nothing left to give. Or maybe some of you, you have a job that is just so full of responsibility right now. You know, there's just not enough people working in your, maybe where you are in your place of employment and you're carrying a load that you were never meant to carry and you are exhausted. It's like the to, you can't even get to the to-do list, let alone finish the to-do list. God sees us in that. Jesus understands that exhaustion. He understands how that feels to be overwhelmed by the stresses of the world. And he is encouraging his disciples and he encourages us to go and rest, to take a minute. You're allowed to have a minute. You're allowed to have some time. But then the other thing we see here is that he understands grief. You know, it's so easy for us to quickly pass over the fact that, that Jesus had just heard about John the Baptist. But I think it's, it's, it's totally probable here that Jesus is grieving himself, that he needs a minute, that, that Jesus in his humanness understands he needed time away. He needed time to grieve. And so if there, there are you, you know, listening today or, or here today who you're grieving, like you're really mourning something, and, and maybe you feel the pressure of the world to just like get through it, move on, push past, Jesus understands what it feels like to grieve, what it feels to, like, to need a moment to take some time away from the hustle and the bustle and to just recover. So I so appreciate just that little section right there where, where Jesus is saying, come on, let's go away. So it says in verse 32, so they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. Now, I hope the boat ride took a while because what we find out, of course, is that the crowds don't have the same compassion on the disciples as Jesus had on the disciples. They run ahead, just like, you know, you think about toddlers and teenagers not respecting the fact that at 1030 at night, you have nothing left to give. And there they are. 
It says in verse 33, but many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. Now, don't forget Jesus's humanness here. He's tired. He's grieving. He's dealing with all that. But I think Jesus saw an opportunity here that he didn't want to pass. He could have said, hey, guys, we need a minute. Go away. He could have gotten back in the boat, and they could have tried another place on shore, but he didn't. He had compassion on them, and he stayed, and he spent the whole day teaching them. He knew that he had to push through because he saw that there was something that needed to happen here. We do see later, just so you know, that Jesus does end up getting some time away. He does get some time away after this. But right then, he has compassion and he teaches them. So it says, he, uh, what I want you to see, though, is this part where it says in verse 34, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Now, remember, it's important that when we're reading scripture, we remember that the author here is trying to convey certain things about God. We can quickly look over the phrase that he's a sheep without a shepherd or that they are like sheep without a shepherd because we hear about Jesus being a shepherd all the time. But it is argued that Mark used this phrase on purpose because he's trying to link this miracle back to a miracle of God in the Old Testament. So this is point number two. What we see here in this, this little blip of scripture is that Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah. Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah. If you remember in the Old Testament, there was a time when the people of God were taken out into a lonely place and they were hungry and they were fed. Remember, Moses took them, led them out of slavery into the desert. And it was at that point where manna came down from the sky and God provided for them. And what we see here is that Jesus is providing food in a lonely place as well. But what is so interesting about this phrase, sheep without a shepherd, is that it comes from a prayer that Moses prayed right before he died. You see, Moses was the one who told people that the manna was coming, instructed them on how to use it in the Old Testament. And he's also the one who prayed this prayer in Numbers 27. He said, may the Lord, the God who gives breath to all living things, appoint someone over this community to go out and to come in before them one who will lead them out and bring them in. So the Lord's people will not be like sheep without a shepherd. It's not by accident that that phrase is in there. Mark is pointing out that Jesus is the fulfillment of Moses's prayer. Steve Wilmhurst, he wrote a commentary on the book of Mark, and he says it this way. He says, now here Jesus appears out in the wilds. He stands before the crowd and feeds them. In this story, Jesus reveals himself as the new Moses, but better than Moses, because all Moses did was tell the people the manna was coming by the power of God and gave them instructions on what to do with it. But Jesus, in the power of God, provides the food himself. The message is clear. Jesus is the new and greater Moses who has come to rescue his people. Jesus is the Messiah. He is the one who has been come, who has come, who was sent to rescue God's people. Jesus is the one that leads us out of the slavery of sin and death and into more than just merely surviving, but into eternal life. 
Okay, I, I just love it. It's so good. Okay, moving on. Verse 35, by this time it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. Now remember, the disciples are probably still tired. I'm hoping the boat ride was somewhat restful for them, but they're still tired. And so I wonder when they go to Jesus and they're like, it's getting late, you know, you need to send these guys home, they need to eat. Like, you wonder how much of it is they really care about the crowd and how much of it is, oh my gosh, enough already, you know? But anyway, so they go to him and they're like, Jesus, they, they, they need, you know, they need to go. And what's so funny is we see Jesus coach coach them here, okay? He says, it says, but he answered, you give them something to eat. And they say to him, what, that would take more than half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? So they're resisting. They're tired. They're like, oh my gosh, are you kidding me? You want us to do this? But Jesus, in his loving patience, he just continues to press them. And he says, how many loaves do you have? He asks, go and see. When they found out, they said five and two fish. Now, Mark doesn't tell us this, but in the book of John, we find out that the reason they have a little bit of food is because some boy packed a lunch. Probably some mother packed the lunch. And so this little boy has some food. He offers it up to the disciples and they bring it to Jesus. And, and I can just picture it in my mind. You know, they bring, you know, a couple loaves of bread and, and these fish or five, whatever it is, five loaves of bread and two fish. And they're basically like, no matter how you slice this baguette, we cannot feed 5,000 men plus their ladies and their children. But amazingly enough, Jesus is impressive here and does something incredible, but we're going to move on. Okay. So then it says in verse 39, then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down again in groups on the green grass. So again, you see him coaching them. He's saying to the disciples, you go put them in groups and you have them sit down. So he's coaching them on, you know, you go do this ministry, you go do this. He could have said, okay, everybody sit down. You know, he's been teaching them the whole day, but he says, you go have them sit down. But what I really want you to see and I'll read it again, is some, just one word in this section, okay? It says, then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. Now, my friend Fran brought this up to me last week. I didn't really notice it until she did. And then I went home that day and I was continuing to study on this section of scripture and I found this information in a commentary too. It's the word green, we don't need to know that the grass is green. I mean, don't you just in your mind either picture it green or, I mean, maybe it's brown, maybe it's, you know, not quite verdant yet, okay? But for some reason, Mark decides to tell us that it's green. And there's a reason. I love studying the Bible, okay? So remember, Mark is making the point that Jesus is more than just merely this guy, okay? And so he is not wasting any words here, and he uses the word green on purpose. Now, if you look at this phrase where it says, have them all sit down, okay, you could also translate that to be, have them lie down, make them lie down. Now, is that ringing a bell in anybody's mind? It may if you know Psalm 23. Now, Psalm 23 was written before Jesus lived, okay? And this is what it says. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Now there is no coincidence here. 
This is Mark pointing to the fact that Jesus is the good shepherd, that Jesus is the shepherd. And then if you look at Psalm 23, who is the shepherd? The Lord is the shepherd. So with one word, green, you go from Jesus is just somebody to Jesus is the shepherd to Jesus is the Lord. So cool. Okay, so cool. I love to study my Bible. I hope you guys do too. So anyway, this is so cool and it tells you something about the character of God, that the character of Jesus, that he is the God who takes care of us like a shepherd takes care of a sheep. He cares about our basic needs. He leads us like a shepherd leads his sheep to good places and to better life. Jesus is more than just a man. He's a good shepherd. So the disciples do what they're told, and then they get to, you know, as tired and as, you know, irritated as they may be, they obey, and then they get to be a part of one of the most amazing miracles that Jesus ever did. Verse 40, it says, so they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. So if you think about it in, in, in our church environment, that would be like you know, the three sections of scripture uh, or three sections of our seats. Okay. So it's, you know, roughly 50 to hundred people in each of the things, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and he broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. So here we see that Jesus is the provider. That's number four. Jesus is the provider. We would have gotten this one without much work. Like we see this one right away. But if you, if you know anything about the Old Testament, there are times where they use, where, where the different authors in the Old Testament use different names for God. And, it, and it's done on purpose to show the different characteristics of God. So you get to know who God is. So like, for example, example Elohim means the mighty one. Okay, um, another word that's used is um, El Roy. It's one of my favorite. It means the God who sees me. But then there's also a name, Jehovah Jireh, which means the God who provides. And so as Jesus is providing here, he is showing them that he is Jehovah Jireh, that he is the God who provides. And what's even more important about this section is that we see that how he provides is by bank- breaking the bread. It's breaking. When we see that, when we see that he gives thanks and then he breaks the bread, those of you who know the story of scripture, you know that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he gave thanks and he broke the bread. And then he said, this is my body broken for you. In 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three, I'll read to you exactly. It says, the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. So here, what Jesus is doing on these green pastures is he's breaking the bread to provide to the people what they need. And it is a picture of what will come when he, the bread of life, will be broken and will provide for the people of the world what we need. He is Jehovah Jireh. He is the good shepherd. He is the bread of life broken for you and for me. And then it says in verse 42, they all ate and were satisfied. 
Such a quick little line, but I love it. Number five, Jesus is the one who satisfies. Now, someone who loves food, I love this verse because I love the fact that Jesus is fine with us being satisfied with food. I mean, in the sense that he loves, he loves satisfying us with food. Like I just, it's such a blessing. For, for my friends who have, have lost their taste and smell because of COVID, you realize what a blessing food is. Like just being able to taste and enjoy food, what a blessing that is. You know, when I was in college, I had a friend um, he was a, a social worker um, major, and he was just like such a kind man, such a kind soul, like a heart of gold. It turned out he was a millionaire. None of us knew it, but he was a millionaire, but he never acted like it. I mean, he you know, would get clothes from Goodwill and whatever, and he was constantly thinking about the poor. He was just fantastic. But his grandparents had, had owned property in Manhattan. I'm totally getting off subject. But anyway, they'd owned property in Manhattan, and then they sold it, and he was one of the beneficiaries. None of us knew. He never acted like it. But anyway, he was such a cool guy. But he said something a, a few different times that have just really, it's really stuck with me. Um, and it was always when we were like eating wings or pizza or just stuffing our faces with cheap college food, you know, and we're at the end, you know, end of the meal and we're all stuffed and we're all just hanging out. And he would always say, take a minute, notice what you're feeling, that there are people around the world who will never get to feel what we feel right now. And I've thought about that several times in my life, you know, usually after a meal at Olive Garden or Texas Roadhouse or something. But I thought about it when I was reading through this scripture because these people would have been the kind of people that would not have known that kind of satisfaction physically very often. Now, it was a culture of feasts, so there were times where there would have been, you know, maybe a few times a year where they would have, would have had that feeling or at least had the opportunity for that feeling, but not on a regular basis. And what we see here is such a cool thing about God's abundance, about his blessing, about his care for us, is that he doesn't just provide enough. He doesn't just squeak by with enough but he gives them more than enough to the point where they've got more leftovers than they even started with and that they're full and they're satisfied. That Jesus is the one who satisfies and he satisfies us. Here we see it, he satisfies us physically, but he wants to satisfy us emotionally and spiritually. You know, so many of us have encountered Christ in a way that we've decided we want him to be the Lord of our lives. And we do, we have found a satisfaction in him that we can't, we know we can't find anywhere else. And how often do we not stop, like my friend Jeff would tell us, and think there are people around the world who have never felt the feeling we feel. And there are people that Jesus loves, people that, that Jesus desires to know. People, I mean, he knows them, but he wants them to know him. There's people all over the place. And it's, what's so amazing about this story is that Jesus didn't owe them this. He didn't have to feed them at all. Remember, he was trying to get away from them. And, and honestly, if you look at the rest of the section, they leave right after this. They, they, they did not have to stay. It wasn't like he was con- going to continue to teach. They just needed a little lunch break and then he was going to continue to teach. He was done for the day. But he was teaching them something in the miracle. But it's so amazing. He doesn't owe us anything either. 
Over and over and over again, we see him provide for us. Over and over and over again, we see his, his, his initiation in the reaching out, his initiation in the blessing. These people did not ask for food. The disciples were the ones who noticed the hunger. And even without asking, Jesus provides for them. And he does the same for us spiritually. You know, he, it says in Romans 5.8 that he demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. And that he did it because he wanted to do it, not because he felt compelled to do it in, a, in any kind of guilt way or anything like that. He wanted to do it. It says in the book of Hebrews, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. And it's only in him that we can find the satisfaction that we long for. It is only in him that everyone we see walking in and out of Kroger's or or passing by on the road, their satisfaction will only be found in a relationship with the creator of their souls. And that can be overwhelming to us, you know? I mean, like I think about that and I think it's kind of like when a parent says to you, you have to eat everything on your plate because there's starving people in Africa. You know, I mean, how do I deal with that? I'm just one person. And I think so often we think about all the people around the world who need to hear about Jesus, all the people just in our community who need Jesus, and we can get overwhelmed by it. But this miracle teaches us one last lesson that can help us in that. And that is that Jesus is the great multiplier. He's the great multiplier. Let's finish up the section. In verse 43, it says, And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of men who had eaten was 5,000. There's leftovers. There's more leftovers than there were to begin with. And the greatest part of this story is the fact that this little boy, this little boy who... Really, the hero of the story, I think, is the mother who packed the lunch. But we can say that it's the little boy. Okay, so the little boy is actually the hero because he gives the lunch. He gives the little that he had. And in the hands of a big God, he made all the difference. And, and you know, I mean, if you think about it, like, we don't know this boy's name. He is of no consequence in the scheme of things. In that culture, he would have meant nothing. Like, they really didn't respect kids. Like, I mean, they valued children in the sense that they loved them and whatever, but they didn't respect children. And so this is like a nobody. And he just had a little bit to offer. And so many times we think that what we have to offer is inconsequential. We think that what we have to offer is can't make a difference, would have little impact, or we ourselves are of no influence and no importance. And so what can we do? But in the hands of a mighty God, our little is multiplied into much. And God does amazing things with the little that we offer. And so what we see here is that we're reminded that no matter what we think we have or don't have, no matter how big our gifts are that we can offer either financially or just in our talents and our abilities, that God will take what we offer and he will use it. He will not waste it. He will not waste a boy's lunch. He will not waste the word green. And he will not waste what we have to offer. So let me end with this. There are some of you who may be watching or or maybe here who are thinking, 
I don't really know this Jesus. Like, I, I don't know him as the satisfier. I don't know him as the Messiah. I don't know him as the provider. And I want to encourage you today to ask him to come into your life, to give him your life, to offer him the little, which to you is everything, I, I granted, but to him is a little, and see what he will do in your life. Because what you'll find as you follow him is that he is all these things. He is the Messiah. He is the good shepherd. He is the one who cares for us. And he will multiply in your life. Now, that doesn't mean that life will be perfect. It doesn't mean that all will go well all the time. I've been walking with Jesus for over two decades, and I can tell you, I don't have everything I want. And my life has not been, you know, pain-free but what I do know and what I can truly tell you with all my heart is that I have experienced a hope and a joy and a friendship <coughs> with the God of the universe that I would never trade for anything else. And so what I want to do now is I want to encourage you to pray and to ask him to come and to live in your life, to live in your heart, and to direct you. So let's pray. If you want to pray with me, you can just echo this in your heart. Following him can be difficult, but the beginning is easy. You just have to tell him, come. Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you would come into my life. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that you came to die on the cross in my behalf so that I can know you and I can follow you and I can have an eternal relationship with the Almighty God. So come into my life and lead me. Help me to know you and to follow you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for joining us here at The Vineyard. It's our greatest desire to see you find and follow God, and we hope that this podcast has helped you do just that. For more video messages and content, make sure to visit our website, vineyardwheeling.com, or download our app. Again, thanks for joining us this week. We'll see you next time.